Welcome to World Tempered, a podcast about the smart, creative, and crafty women in the chocolate industry. I'm Lauren Heineck, a storyteller, community builder, and chocolate maker at Weekend Chocolate. Today on the show, I speak with writer and chocolate educator Estelle Tracy of 37 Chocolates. We'll chat about finding your voice in chocolate through various mediums, packaging tips for the industry, and what happens when a two-year-old gets her hands on a bar of craft chocolate. Hello, well-tempered fans. Today I have with me Estelle Tracy. Estelle, welcome. Thank you, Lauren. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you. I've been following your journey since I've started in the chocolate industry just the last few months, and it's been fascinating to watch your own kind of discovery of new chocolates and specifically craft chocolates. We're going to be speaking a lot today about what that looked like, and also where you are today with many projects under underway. Certainly a lot to dive into, but I know many people have asked you this question before, and we're going to review it just slightly for the audience, for those that don't know about you or your project. How did that come to be? What was the impetus behind that? The 37 Chocolates Challenge, so that started in um, late May of 2015, around Memorial Day, and what happened is that I had just published a uh, food survivor guide for French expats in the U.S. And I had a few months of kind of blank month uh, ahead of me. I wasn't going on vacation. It had been a couple of years I'd been looking for a way to really honor my birthday. And uh, a couple of months earlier, uh, I had a friend named Nicole in uh, New Brunswick, Canada, she and her childhood friend, so they shared uh, they shared a birthday and decided on a whim that they would run a 50K for uh, in honor of their 50th birthday. And um, she, she had been a good friend for several years. And I do remember her, the, the months leading up to the birthday, she had been, she and her friend had been training really hard for the day. So they crossed the finish line and then they faced on me. And I saw both of them like over a pile of snow, like we did it and it was awesome. And that feeling of accomplishment I got from them, like they were just beaming. And I thought, wow, that just, I mean, I was tearing up. I, I mean, that just was amazing. And I thought, wow, I would love to feel that way for my own birthday. So she was looking, Nicole, my friend, was looking for a way to like a new project for her 51st birthday. And uh, I said, you know, you worked hard enough, enough with this running nonsense. I think you should just eat something like 51. You should eat 51 or something. And um, at the time I had I had seen like I had I had heard of like being tomorrow being more of a thing and growing in popularity. I thought, you know what? Why don't you find 51 chocolates? She's like, eh, no, I thought, man, that's an awesome idea. Nico, why are you not doing it? And I thought, you know what? Fine, I'm going to do it. So I hadn't done any kind of research prior to that. And I thought, you know, so I'm just, I just decided to do it. But what's funny is that at the beginning, I really wanted to just buy 37 random bars. I had fun like at the grocery store, whatever. Uh, soon after I released my book, I stumbled upon a grumpy expat comment on a random blog who said like American chocolate was just junk. And 
you know, I thought, what does he know? Like, I got really annoyed at him, and I don't even know his name, nothing like that. And at the last minute, I decided I'd, I would just eat 37 chocolates entirely made in the U.S. Mostly, actually, it's almost all of them were being too bored, but that, that's, what, that's what prompted me to focus on that. So that's how it all started. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it sounds like, you know, not only is this a discovery of a new food product or an emerging food product, but additionally, the power of social media and community, because as you're saying, you saw this through FaceTime, you had that experience, you're now sharing through your blog and also using the medium of YouTube. So it's it's touching on many facets of your life that I think certainly a note to who you are and how you're developing yourself. But would you also tell us, you know, was that something you had in mind that it would be so visual and so, uh, you know, adapted towards today's age and technology or, or how did that evolve? Well, once I made the commitment, I actually, um, if you go back into my Instagram account, you can see like a photo. I was going to just put jot down notes on a, a notebook and I thought, you know, I'd really like to share it with other people because craft chocolate can get expensive, like if you really eat a lot of it. And I figured that my experience could help other people screen the chocolate. So I thought, okay, I need to document it online. So I thought I have two choices. In my head, I had two choices. I thought I could start a blog and then I already had a French blog. I've had a French blog for 12 years and I know how much time it takes to maintain a blog and feed a blog. I thought taking a photo of like a piece of chocolate from a gazillion of angers, I just was tired just thinking about it. And I thought, I kept hearing like maybe for the past year or two that video was the next thing. And I was really deeply uncomfortable on, on video. And I thought, you know, this is the time for me to like, overcome that once and for all so uh plus i thought you know like showing a piece of chocolate on video like all i have to do is like show them the front show the viewers the front the back show the more i feel it was just so efficient to review chocolates on on video so i thought okay let's try that i had tried like a bunch of social media and youtube was, was like the next thing no, I, I totally agree with you. I've I've actually dabbled in the blogging world. And the reason I'm endeavoring on, on trying to start a podcast is because in a way I, I tired of, of the blogging medium because I couldn't reach the audience that I wanted to reach. And I, I knew that my efforts and what I wanted to say to the world was not coming through in, in, in that format. Um, so hopefully this is this is a way to reach chocolate lovers and, and inspire people in the future. But you know, I wouldn't be able to do this without having people like yourself that are also sharing their stories. So again, you know, just thank you for for coming here and, and telling us how, how that all began. And from from the beginning, from that commencement, what what has developed? What has changed within you? What now are your, you know, relationships or or where now do you want to go with the project? So first, I would say that I actually wasn't really a big I was skeptical about uh, being too bar for one reason alone is that the first bar I had tried was really not good, like marketed as being too bar. And I was like really bitter, <laughs> like spending $8 for something that flat out didn't taste good. And um, like talking to the challenge itself, I thought, I want you to prove me wrong. And what happened is, 
you know, I figure out of 37, there has to be at least one good, right? So, uh, but as the challenge progressed, my palette really changed and I, and I became really more interesting in the, you know, at first I started picking on different nuances of the chocolate based on what cacao was used. And every time I go back to a grocery store chocolate and, you know, I realized, oh yeah, I really like this craft chocolate butter. The, the challenge did, did change my palate. And the biggest thing I think that it did for me is that chocolate is one of those rare foods. Chocolate, in my opinion, doesn't have a context for most people. You know, I'm a big food lover and I know my French baker. I know I go to a farmer's market. I know all my producers. Uh, I know where the farms are. And even like I'm a gardener, I cook. So I, I can relate to so many of the foods or the people because, you know, I have a garden and um, I go to farmer's market. So that's, that doesn't exist. Those connections really doesn't exist with chocolate. Like most um, chocolate that people consume is mass produced and nobody can say, oh, I know my chocolate maker. Like, you know, nobody knows the chocolate yeah. maker, you know. Um, and I really was craving that kind of, like I wanted to really see the face of chocolate in some way. And I know that, a big goal of mine as I embarked on the challenge was, you know, I want to meet a person who makes chocolate from scratch. Like that was like, that w- I thought to myself, that would be awesome. <laughs> your, your Willy Wonka moment, <laughs> going to the factory. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, I felt that, you know, it just, you know, I, I wanted to, to really map that word um, and, find some meaning in it and have a connection with it. And I, and I got all of that uh, from the challenge. To answer the question about what it changed for me, um, so as I said, I was skeptical about spending, for me, I keep saying, like, that's like one hour of minimum wage on a piece of chocolate, you know. As I said, also, I became a convert. You know, I did find some really, really good chocolate. And uh, what surprised me is that I became less, in general, less of a bargain shopper than I was before the challenge. And that kind of surprised me because I guess for, like, I think a lot of people with, like, more humble background, like, we all shop for things on sale at the grocery store. Like, saving money was a big thing, and it still is. But I realized throughout the challenge that... You know, the value isn't so much in the price, but really what you get for what you spend. And sometimes it feels like you spend a lot, but what you get is so much more. And do you think that that the chocolate makers today, those that are up and coming or either those that have been part of your challenge, are adequately answering that question? Like, is the story coming through? Is it more in, in the flavor profiles and nuances of the taste or what has the distinguishing factor been for you when, when you're trying these chocolates, like what stands out most? Is it recognizing that face? Um, it's a, it depends on the maker, but looking back again at the makers, I, whose bars I pick for the challenge, it can be, it could be a beautiful mold. Um, you know, I thought like Dick Taylor was the most expensive chocolate I had physical access to here in my town. And, 
it felt expensive, but I have started giving it as a gift because the wrapping is just so quality. Um, the mold is beautiful, and I feel like, oh, well, I get to give this beautiful present. You know, this I don't have to even wrap for $10. That's just not that much for a nice present. So the, it could be a nice packaging, a lot of care from the molding, or the, the chocolate making, obviously. But like the person who receives it is just a beautiful product that happens to also taste really delicious. But it could be like map chocolate. I feel like for, again, 8 to $10, I mean you get so much more than a piece of chocolate with her because she writes a story like the maker Mackenzie Rivers rewrites a story that finds its way into the um, the wrapper. And for me, you spend $10 and you get a piece of chocolate and a piece of poetry. And so, you know, that's like, for me, that's a bargain because you get a piece of art and a piece of food. <laughs> It could be the value could come from, so it could be from the way it looks, but the way also it's uh, like the vision of the maker. Like, as I said, for Mackenzie, the taste sometimes, like I'm thinking Violet Sky, the packaging is very simple, but the chocolate stands for itself. Like the mode is very simple, but it just touches me. Sometimes it's as simple as that. It's just like, I don't know why, but I feel something like, you know, that stirs me a little, like it's good, but there's something more, like there's some soul in there. And wow. I love that. Yeah. And uh, chocolate is an extremely visceral experience and to each its own, you know, we, we all have our own memories associated with it and our own connections. And it clearly sounds like you've developed these, these close ties. And I really hope Mackenzie's ears are burning because this is the second time <laughs> <laughs> during this second podcast uh, that her name has been mentioned. So she will... She will be listening or one day a guest or all of the above. But in the meantime, we can we can enjoy her chocolate. And I would really enjoy trying Violet Sky. That's that's on my list. So I need to find a shop that has that available. And just segueing to that, I know you made a a list uh, for your local community of where to find chocolate uh, within mm -hmm. Philadelphia and just outside of Philadelphia. That's, I'm sure, been helpful. Have you noticed that within the blog logistically or like statistically? Is that something that stands out? Are people eager to find where chocolate is near them? What's funny is that those people may not leave a comment. They might talk to me in two months and say thank you. <laughs> but, but what I have noticed is that people from not this area who are um, planning a trip to this area, um, like Amber from Chocolate Disorder, uh, she's a, I think, chocolatier slash blogger. Uh, she's planning a trip and she said she was really uh, excited to find the list. And then um, I know that there is um, Laurie from um, Time to Eat Chocolate. She actually was inspired to start her own list. Uh, and I, I think it's people who are planning trips that find the list very valuable now. Um, and uh, I like that it might prompt others to start their own local list. That's great. It's awesome to be a catalyst for, for change. <laughs> yes, this is a delicious change, you know, <laughs> make yeah. my chocolate life easier. Certainly. And there was one question I had actually just to go backwards a few moments. We had discussed kind of early on in, in our chat about this podcast that you would discuss 
if there was somebody who surprised you within the challenge, if you, if you, through the packaging or through the story you had known about them, you thought that they would be one way and they ended up being a totally different way as you opened the package or enjoyed the chocolate? I haven't in general because, um, you know, as, as I had discussed um, on, on my blog, what happened is when I realized around the 10th review that a chocolate carried the personality of the maker, I started actually paying more attention to the personality or like the vibe of the Instagram account and kind of made my selection based on the personality because I thought this is a good indication of what the chocolate is going to taste like. So I was screening. <laughs> I was screening. Today. So I haven't had much surprises. It comforted me. It's uh, in, in that sense, I haven't had much surprises. I've been comforted m- more than anything. And um, I can think of one uh, chocolate where I actually, uh, I was, this was after the challenge. I, um, I was at sitting with my sister and like uh, Robert Campbell, like the chocolate al- alchemist and his wife. We were doing a big, big chocolate tasting and I brought something, a bar from a maker that nobody knew. And I knew enough of the personality to th- to have a good sense of what the chocolate would be, would be, not would taste like, but like what I would feel eating it. And, and I, and I ate it at last and it was somebody whose chocolate, who, I mean, who in our exchanges, I felt wasn't, you know, have that much confidence. Like I could tell had the skills, but didn't trust themselves. And the chocolate I felt was like, you know, it was a little lot, you know, it was good. It was good. It was like, oh, wow, there is so much potential there, but why is there so much sugar? Or, you know, like you could tell the person didn't trust themselves or like their palate as much as they should have. So that was really interesting. So that just for me was comforting that I have a, a screening that works, I guess. You're intuitive. Well, we should always be following what you say then. <laughs> so far, it served me well, you know. But uh, but I, would, I guess one that surprised me. But after the challenge, uh, this is actually funny. I didn't. I was I was never crazy about the Trump School chocolate, the wrapper, and then it actually the chocolate made it to my Shoker uh, Rush box, like it's a subscription box. And I had the Brady's bar, and I thought, oh my gosh, sometimes I guess you can't you can't judge a book by the cover. Because I really, really like the bar, you know, and so it's not like I knew the, I didn't know the maker at all, but I was quick to dismiss that bar because the packaging wasn't talking to me. And that was like a humbling moment. I mean, this happens, this happens, but, uh, um, but again, I didn't know the maker at all. It's just more like a packaging thing. And uh, I really enjoyed the chocolate. All right. Well, we can add that both actually to the show notes because I happened to run into Pashmina yesterday of Choco Rush and she's here in Denver. They ship they ship out of South Carolina and also Charm School is on my list of maybe a factory to visit or just to kind of check in and see what they're doing in Baltimore. Yeah. That's another East Coast chocolate maker. Quite a few on on the American craft chocolate map these days. And you mentioned just a, a moment ago you'd sat down, I believe you said your sister, is that correct? Yes. Did you share this project with with other people? What was what was the interaction like? How personal did this become? The funny part is, uh, 
my husband is a much of a chocolate person. He likes chocolate cake, but you know, I didn't share, I couldn't share the, much of the challenge uh, with him. I couldn't taste much with him. So I'd say it was the tasting was mostly solitary, um, especially as I thought I was, you know, more I could concentrate better eating it alone. But what I really enjoyed is that although I live in a small town, there is a coffee shop here named uh, Filter Coffee where I spend a lot of time. And the the owner really has a nice craft chocolate selection. He's really um, he really likes and respects food made with intention. I shared several bars with Chris, and it was really nice um, like to share that with somebody else who was as interested and passionate as I was. And then the other funny, uh, my do- I have so two daughters at the time. One was eight and the other two years old. And uh, let me just say that despite my will, <laughs> I've had to make her part of the challenge because I just couldn't keep up with her climbing everywhere. When I tried this uh, gold milk chocolate by the Mass Brothers, so it, it tasted I don't. I do not like cheese, and it, that bar tasted so much like goat cheese, and I, I could not have finished it. And when after I shoot the review, and I don't eat like half of the bar, and I'm thinking, what am I gonna do with the rest of this? And uh, before I found the solution, I actually saw my two-year-old on a step stool at the counter at the kitchen, and she ate like everything that was left with at least half of the bar and that whole evening like she was like she barely slept that night she was like literally jumping on the bed like it was like so she was part of she was part of review number nine and then she i believe ate review number 10 she literally ate through the paper so that the paper was gone the chocolate was gone and i had to rush to the coffee shop the time was taking i had to do this review this happened this happened certainly was part of the journey part part of the journey but also developing a palate at a very young age (laughs) she has good taste she does and it's funny because we've been to at the Chocolate Alchemist in Philadelphia, I, I do have a photo of her. So at the time, she's two and a half years old, and she's actually eating cacao nibs from a little bowl. And everybody's just staring at her like, oh, my gosh, like she's eating something like that. Like that's not, that right, is not right. sweet. No, it, I mean, it kind of reminds me also of, of the way that some Americans, when they travel to Europe, and they might see how Europeans dine together in, in family and that they pass the wine to the the younger child and it's kind of like oh, you would give that to a child but ultimately you know when you're giving something that is pure how how bad could it really be yeah the cacao nibs you know she was like she was redeveloping her fine motor skills you know that's what i say yeah yeah and that's that's a, a nice segue into some of your earlier days how like how has chocolate or cacao played a role in your life do you have you have early memories of that being a part of your childhood or or how you developed in the kitchen or as a mother? Uh, yeah, it's like growing up. So I grew up in France and um, chocolate, like chocolate is a very popular food in um, uh, French kitchens and French households and a like a four o'clock snack after school snack in not just my house, but other 
other kids in France is like we, we, we would have like a baguette, a chocolate sandwich on baguette. So the, the popular chocolate, like in my house growing up, was really like the purple milk chocolate from Milka. And like the taste for dark chocolate didn't come until a little later. But that was a big part of growing up. Like my dad would like buy, he was crazy about those bars. Like he'd buy like, I don't know, uh, six packs. Like there would always be specials. And what happened is like on Saturday night, we would all watch like TV growing up and then the rest of the, like all the family would go upstairs to fall asleep and we come back. Uh, so we would split a bar and in the morning you'd find like the empty purple wrapper completely, like completely empty because my dad just like worked his way <laughs> to the rest of the, of the, of the bar. But th- that creamy milk chocolate is, seems to me to always be that point of reference. So like today, I really like the the dark milk chocolate when they they have that creaminess and that that bit of milkiness to them, like creamy, sweet. Um, that always, you know, when the chocolate brings me back to the Milka one in the best possible way, makes me happy. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, I can totally see that, and and it it is so in line with how we developed, you know, our own you know, food discovery and also just the, the environment where we spent our lifetime. And, you know, it can it can create an existence within your own kind of family ties. So now you've had this personal uh, blog and now this meeting of multitude of makers. And it's something that you're sharing with your family so that when your children grow up, they'll be able to say that they did X or that they shared Y. And I think that's really amazing to to tie that which makes me wonder as well if it's within our genetics like because i have a grandmother who she's 93 now and live but she still loves chocolate and she still has multiple pieces a day oh good for her that's why she's healthy <laughs> that's why she's stay. she's 93 i do wonder if i gained some of that appreciation if you will granted her her taste in chocolate is very different than my taste in chocolate but that if that was passed on through genes that we love our chocolate yeah that's possible could be the case you know you mentioned just a bit earlier that there was this not judging a book by its cover within within the chocolate bars and i think that's something to also focus on within people that sometimes we can judge someone by their cover and we had mentioned this between our communication earlier on, but you have a French accent. You've lived in France. What is the the deeper Estelle? Who is the deeper Estelle? Um, the deeper Estelle is a multitude of things, and some of the things she's still trying to figure them out. At, at, at the core, do crave a lot of connections, whether they are personal or professional. I really like. I, I do. I do have. Uh, 10 years of corporate experience. And um, something that truly matters to me is that, you know, we we tend to forget that behind everything is people. It could be about chocolate, but that's that's the case for everything that, you know, whether it's something we wear, something, you know, like a food at the restaurant. And I really want my, it's very important for me to make sure Everything goes back to the people. That's why I always make a point when I talk about a place or a restaurant that I know the names of the people who work there. 
Um, and I do not refer to places by just, oh, I went to, okay, you could say I went to this restaurant, I had this chocolate, but if I know the name of the maker, I, I like to refer to that person because, you know, it gives us the connections, but it's just, we, we have to understand that we're not, you know, the world isn't run by, by machines eventually. I mean, we use machines, but there are people behind those machines that, um, and, this is something that I guess I didn't like in the corporate world is that, you know, you would hear about layoffs or maybe, um, you know, people would talk about a name of a company or like this company did X. I said, no, it's not the company who did. It's the people who work for the company who do that. And I think that deep down, it's like I'm really trying to, Always remember that there are people behind everything and do my part, um, say on, on my blog, um, I really like an interviewing, you know, the makers of the challenge, like that's what I've been doing since the beginning of the year, because I really want the people who eat the chocolate to know that there is a person with a story and a passion behind that, that this isn't some mass-produced, soulless, you know, punch the clock type of person. And uh, that's what matters to me. That's really well said. Do you think that the, the chocolate industry as a whole is cognizant of that? Do you see that that whether it be a trend or whether it be the, the actuality of the state of things, but is that something you've witnessed between other makers or between other fans of chocolate that there is the conception Obviously that someone has made it, but that, that they're talking about others that are doing awesome things and, or could it be improved upon? I've attended the DC Chocolate Festival earlier this year, and then I did uh, attend the uh, FCIA meeting in New York in June. And I, and I think that um, there really is a sense of community, you know, within the industry. And, you know, I find, I find the industry very welcoming to a newcomer like me who, we're still trying to figure out what she's doing in that industry. But what personally, as a consumer, because I do see myself as a consumer first in terms of chocolate, like, you know, as we discussed, I have no intention of starting making chocolate, for instance. But something that personally, as a consumer, especially before the challenge, I found um, difficult uh, is that, you know, I had that block, you know, uh, about money and how expensive chocolate is. Now, even though I don't think this way anymore, the reality is this is something that I felt at some point in my life and that I know other people feel. Like, why is this bar eight or nine dollars? And they really are like I turned to wrappers and I would read everything on the wrapper to understand why it was, you know, so expensive. So so some people talk about the farmers and the producers not all of the makers go that deep but you know as i've said it's like i cannot unless i have a, a trip schedule on a cacao plantation i have never seen a cacao plantation i cannot it's very hard for me to relate to a a cacao producer in a country that i can barely place on the map like and i think that that I mean, I, I, I didn't find a clue on a wrapper that that uh, concern of mine or was 
understood. Like, I don't know if other people feel this way. My guess, I mean, I know a lot of people who still are not comfortable, you know, spending $8-$10 on a bar. But I thought, you know, like, what I see, what I read on a wrapper, it's telling me about, as I said, a producer that, I'm, I mean, I'm happy he's been, you know, that I do not want to support slavery by any means. And I'm really happy that I've learned that. The, the, I've learned about the issue of um, child slavery on plantation, but, you know, that's, you know, I, I, I haven't seen that big connection made thanks to the rappers. There is one, I would say, uh, that won me over um, throughout the whole change when I look back at the rapper. I, there, there are a couple, I should say. It's... Um, it's not a bean to bar maker. It's um, a chocolatier named uh, Chuao. And they have really fun bars made. Uh, it's good quality chocolate with, you know, like, say, potato chips. They're kind of, they're funny. They're fun bars, like, you know, firecrackers or I don't know what. Like, um, you know, like popcorn. But at the back of the bar, there is a little write-up about how the founder, you know, said, you know, I had a corporate job or like I, I something like that. Like he had an office job, didn't feel fulfilled. And, you know, he was from Venezuela and decided to, I think he traveled back to Venezuela and she just decided he'd make chocolate. And, you know, for me, who at the time was working, when I found out about Chuao, I was still working in a corporate environment. And then I resigned from that environment. Like this person won me over by making that connection with me and using a context that is relevant to me as a consumer. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to give it a shot because he, he did that. And, and I wish more people, more makers would tell their stories of why they got into chocolate, you know? Um, and of course, you know, for like, you know, I'm thinking of a few makers, it, it started with the producers and it's like, yes, I want to know that, but I want you to be part of the chain too. Like there is, I love that so many makers give, you know, props to their producer. I mean, that's super important, but they shouldn't, they should also give themselves some, like they should tell their own story too and explain how it's all tying together. So as a consumer, I can more easily relate to the maker than I can to the producers. And I would like that to be acknowledged on a rapper or a story. I'm glad you initiated this discussion because it is quite valuable for the industry as a whole, but also for consumers that might be listening of how they can better identify a bar that might appeal to them. As a maker myself, it I think it's been something that I have a conundrum of sorts that I've been balancing of how do I, within a small space of real estate that is a chocolate bar, explain through beautiful design a story as well as giving nod to a raw ingredient that I find so sacred. And, and it's a lot of things. It's it's a lot of areas and, and, and points to kind of put within just that, that single piece of property, if you will, that is the the bar and capture the attention of someone who might be viewing you alongside, in some cases, you know, 20 other bars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to dive into that more. Um, maybe maybe with other interviews and, and other, other mediums of, of sorts, because I don't think it's something that can just be answered off the fly. And it's not maybe even that it's answered on the bar. This could be where makers... Or, or companies that have the means start to develop 
other outlets through social media or through their own voice website? and website. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, and I think there are different, you know, like, I find as again, as a consumer, that a lot of bars are described the same way. Everybody feels, it feels to me, are doing it the same way. Like I say, I'm I'm generalizing, but, you know, a lot of people refer to the taste of the chocolate as like, oh, you know, like fruity and earthy, or I, I, don't, I don't know what. But, you know, uh, there are so many other ways that you could do that, like ways that nobody has thought about. And I think that what I would love seeing is like, Somebody who just like trusts their like a maker who trusts their voice and just decide to do something that makes sense for them, makes sense for the consumer, and just run with it. Like there's no reason to all do the same way because it's what's always been done. Like woodblock chocolate doesn't have a lot of space on their board. Like there's just very little information, but their website is actually like the way they describe the board is actually funny. When I was doing the challenge and researching them, I love what they did to describe their bars on the website. You know, like they won me over thanks to their website, you know? So there's just so many ways. Indeed. And, you know, within my own business, Weekend Chocolate, I initially had the ideation and kind of sat down with with a friend of mine that we were going to think about starting the business together. And one thing that I always made very clear was I do not want to go the route of I roast, crack, winnow, melange. Oh, yes and mold, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just want everyone to know <laughs> that that I do the work, and this is a tagline that you can tell me sucks or not, but it was more like, you know, I put in the work, we put in the work so that you can enjoy your weekend, and that weekend being your bar or being your moment or being that just present space of this is lovely. Very clever, Laura. <laughs> oh, oh I love you. it. Oh, you know, what's funny is that a few weeks ago, like I'm, I'm from France, obviously, and I still learn English words on a regular basis. And I had no idea what winnow me- meant. And there's another one like conching. I had heard of it, and I'm like, I have no idea what that means. So I would read that that kind of description, and I would crack up because two of the words I didn't even understand. Like, you know, yeah. and I said, and I said to my husband, like, okay, is it because I'm from France and I'm missing some vocabulary? Or do you understand these words? And he said, no, I do not. I'm like, okay, thank you. I was like, are these people trying to make me sound like an idiot or what? <laughs> yes. And it's like, you know, I mean, uh, I think I think, I think your approach is brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you. And that's not, that's not to discredit other makers that have paved the road. You know, I think there is an additional to all that thing, all of those things that I was speaking about to put on the bar, there is that education piece because you're dealing with a product that has recently come into sort of the the vernacular of the fine food world and there's going to be some time there's going to be some years that go by that we have to educate but that manner in which we do so like how we generate an affection for chocolate i think is what we need to also spend time doing because ultimately taste is going to win people over yes packaging you know yes yes the way that you um, stand and, and represent your brand but we have to make people believe, and I think many are doing a great job of this, of this is better than what you've had before. And and not only because of that that mouthfeel or those notes that you discover that are subjective to your own experiences, but because this is working towards a more sustainable future. Yeah, and, and 
you know, taste for me is uh, is the way to end so many arguments too. Like, you know, I know for a fact that not everybody cares about where their food come from comes from. I mean, that's like harsh truth. But and there are a lot of people who care, but there are a lot of people who don't. Um, you know, and the thing is that you could have a two-hour conversation with a lot of arguments, or you could just say, "Oh, here, try this." <laughs> And the end, right? <laughs> you right. know, I've had someone tell me that, like, ultimately, the piece of chocolate you give them is your business card. That's very true. To me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to Trump School Chocolate when I was at the DC Chocolate Festival. Everything they do is vegan, and the vegan white chocolate. Like, I mean, I'm a huge white chocolate lover. And oh my gosh, I mean, I was so excited to try it. I actually did a Facebook Live with Josh's mother. Like the, Josh is the chocolate maker and the founder of Trump School Chocolate. You, ta- you spoke about the maker's chocolate with the maker's mother? <laughs> yeah, she actually had the camera, you know, making sure that her son would have the spotlight. And then I would talk very highly about the white chocolate. And she's like trying to, it's so funny because I was... I had a hard time coming up with a word to describe the chocolate because of that's still like my first live <laughs> broadcasting. And uh, you can hear her saying, okay, tell us what it tastes like. You know, like <laughs> it's a good moment. That's very cute. That I, I like also that you've incorporated Facebook Live into your arsenal of, of products that you're accumulating. And certainly, you know, you're active on Instagram. As you've mentioned, you've been able to screen kind of some of the makers even before other people know about them. Would you talk about what mediums you prefer or like why you choose to use certain ones for, for your blog and another for your interviews? Yes. Oh, yes. That's a great question. One of the reasons I started the blog um, so what happened is like when I shot the reviews, so they were all on YouTube and I'm talking on like when I'm, when I'm doing the reviews, I'm really talking to a person who knows me from my book because I always had that French expat in my head. So I'm talking to somebody who's, who likes chocolate, doesn't know much, but you know, is willing to know more. And I'm trying to always try to teach what, I, what I've learned along the way. So I have this person in mind when I do the reviews. And then what I've noticed is that those people I had in mind were not watching my reviews. It was the industry that was watching it. And I thought, okay, that's not, you know, the same way you're talking about the podcast and why you're doing podcasts. Well, same thing kind of happened to me. I'm like, I want to talk to, I don't want to preach to the choir, you know, I realized that the audience I was targeting was more more active on Instagram where I'd be promoting the reviews. So they would they didn't care about the, you know, what like they wanted to know is it good or not, essentially. And they would make their they would base their judgment on what I would say on Instagram. And then I'm like, okay, um, I know. The challenge, when the challenge was over, I knew I was undone with chocolate and I took some time to like think about what I wanted to do next. And I thought, you know, I've learned so much about makers and chocolate and cacao and along the way throughout the challenge, I want to deepen, I want to have a deeper conversation and I know that video is is no longer the medium and I'm going to start writing about it. I want to be able to explain in my words what 
what being to board means to me. I want to be able to share the stories of the makers. And what I noticed is that the, the audience that I had been trying to target all along was reading those blog posts. So I thought, yeah. yes, because I think there's still, you know, some hesitation of clicking play and do I really want to sit through a four minute review? I mean, if you are a maker, that's like, I would imagine like that's gold. Like somebody who spent the money on the chocolate, it's kind of like business intelligence, I feel. But like for the person, they just want the conclusion. Like, how good is it? I like this. Am I going to like that? That they have a very simple question and they're looking for a simple answer. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so I, I like Instagram. Uh, I like Instagram. Facebook is nice too. Um, like to promote like the, the, the blog post that, uh, um, that I may have written, and yeah, and I'm a fan of Facebook Live indeed. I'm not so active on the English page, but like on the French blog page, I'm having a blast, like doing all kinds of like food sampling with a local French-speaking friend. Um, people love it. Why do you think that is? What What is different about watching something happening live as opposed to pushing play when you have a moment? with your spare time that you can do so in, in silence, so to speak? It's a lot more authentic, I think, for the people. And um, I think, like, what I noticed when I was doing the YouTube reviews is that I was, they, for me, those videos had to be polished. Like, you, you, when you think about it, it will refer to a YouTube channel of somebody. Like, you know, you, it's almost like baby TV in my head. You know, there is a standard, like, it's, it's, um, it's an implicit standard that there is on YouTube. Like on Facebook Live, it's like you're supposed to go for one. You're supposed to not be uptight. And, you know, and I and I think people really like authentic. Like on the French page, like when I watch myself, like I just crack up. Like I use so much slang. They just like seeing the real person behind the Polish, like edited seven times blog post. It goes back to people. Everybody wants to know who the real you is. And with Facebook Live, you give that to people, in my opinion. I like that about you. I mean, and I can see that through the YouTube videos as well, that you're you're not putting on a show. I mean, you're you're doing your work. You're doing your job, if you will, to broadcast about chocolate and, and share that with other people. But it's still it's still your your own voice. Thank you. You're That's a nice welcome. compliment. All right. Where where can I move on to now? So. Actually, I, I would turn the tables on you for a moment. Is there anything you want to bring up? No, I think my big passion is about what's on the wrappers. I mean, okay. that's my soapbox. <laughs> and I talked about it. I'm happy. That's, I needed to get it out. <laughs> well, we'll see how many brands have to go under redesigning uh, after this podcast launches. That, that would be interesting. Take a catalog of that and see see if there's yes, any any changes from one year to the next. Okay, well then I'll move on to these these two questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. And that first one is pretty simple, but ultimately very complex. What does cacao mean to you? So for me, as a, again as a consumer, I have come to accept as a source of uh, wonder. And so wonder. I hope my accent is okay, but. I just see it as this amazing, magical food that tastes like so many other foods. And I never forget 
the this one bar I had from Cacao Atlanta that tasted like really like a strong had a strong cherry finish, and I thought to myself like this really you know stopped me in my track, and I thought, how is that possible that a food tastes like another like bananas don't taste like apples you know <laughs> cacao tastes like a bunch of other foods and how many other foods can we think about like that that just have such complexity in the aromas in the flavors and and i feel like cacao has this ability to stop people in their truck i think and make them pause and realize wow that's just so amazing that i'm alive to experience this that's a good point and within saying that, it sounds like we could sustain our livelihood only eating chocolate. I wish. Oh, cereal for breakfast in the form of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the the second part of that is if tomorrow you were shot off into the cosmos, which is my my version of the desert island question, what three bars, whether they be specific makers and bar varieties from that maker or even just origins, if that's your preference, would you want to take with you? So um, I, I hope I can bring liquids, first of all. What I would like to do is I would take bars from my chocolate. You know, she, she could cur- curate. Mackenzie could curate if she wanted, and I'd be happy with that. Like a custom bar for you? Oh, no, just a selection. She could say, you know, I'm picking three makers. I just hope, like, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to bring more than three with me, Lauren. <laughs> I'm trying to cheat on this question. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I would take a bar from Map Chocolate. Then I would take a, actually, I would take Truffles by Violet Sky. He makes my favorite. So let's say a bar, a truffle, and I would take Drinking chocolate from Chocolate Alchemist in Philadelphia. Those would be my three. Wow, I love that. That's I, I hadn't thought that someone would answer in the form of liquid and solid and even ganache. So well uh, done, Stel. well done. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I like eating chocolate. Can you tell? Yes, yes. Well, that's, that's why you're here on Well Tempered. <laughs> and finally, let's... Let's close with just a nod, I think, to to why even this podcast is in existence, and that's acknowledging women within the industry. And if there's anything, you know, you'd like to kind of uh, mention about about what maybe that means to you personally as as a female and and having daughters and and where you see whether that be a future for yourself or just, you know, in general of of how we incorporate females into the conversation. You know, I I would say right off like during again the 37 chocolates challenge and and continuing i've been so happy to see so many female makers so many female voices um you know not that there is not something valuable with men at all but it's so nice that so many women have owned it and and just decided to be part of this world i do think that women see the world differently um the there, there is, there's just, there is a touch that they bring that I think is valuable. I mean, we talk about, we talk about like the, how a few women decide to pick science, you know, to study science in college and, you know, making chocolate as, as, as I've learned is a lot, it's, you know, it's, 
it's a physical work, it has machines, and it makes me really happy that there are women doing, you know, working with those machines and lifting those humongous cacao bags that, you know, you picture men lifting. And I think that's awesome. It's probably a little difficult for the audience to understand what you're referring to that moment. But I told Estella a story before recording this podcast that last night I had to carry 500 pounds of cocoa beans from a warehouse into the mountains and then into a a large freezer. So, of course, there are many other women doing that, unless we not forget the women on the plantations, on the farms, uh, within the the distribution channel that, that are a part of it also. So... That's that's wonderful. And it's been really great to have you here today. I loved learning about your story. And it's amazing what you're doing for the industry as, as a role model. And we wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Lauren. It was a, an honor to be on your podcast and, and share what's important for me. Thank you for being well-tempered, Estelle. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to episode two. You can get all of today's show notes available at weekendchocolate.com forward slash podcast. And be sure to join our Facebook group, Well Tempered, to hear about future podcasts, connect with chocolate peers, and continue the conversation that we've started here today. Well Tempered is produced and edited by me, Lauren Heineck. Our intro music and closing song, Chocolate Store, is by Anna Garcia. Thanks again for being here, and stay well tempered. a child, my mommy asked me with a smile, what you will be when you get older, the only thing I have clear is just to make this place a bit warm.